smells Jesus-y. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We are the aroma of Christ. God has spoken in many ways. Welcome to Smells Jesus-y, a podcast from Three Crosses Church. Today we're starting our new series, Frontline Sundays. Matt Waldron will be speaking to us from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1-2. to All the difference in the world. Here's Matt. G'day everyone, g'day kids. I don't know if your teacher might have read you this short story. I'm not going to read it, but I'm just going to tell it quickly. There was a teacher, once upon a time, who uh, decided at the end of the year to present each of her students with a ribbon, an award for making a difference in the class. And so for each student, she called them up and she pinned the ribbon on them and she told them uh, what a difference they'd made in the class and what a difference they'd made to her. And then, at the very end of the class, she gave all of the students each two extra ribbons with pins and encouraged them to find somebody that made a difference in their life that year and pin a ribbon on them and tell them how they made a difference and give them the spare ribbon to do that for somebody in their life. So, one of the students went home and uh, when their big brother got home from work, they went and uh, said, I want to pin this ribbon on you to tell you what a difference you've made in my life this year as my big brother. And uh, told them, and the big brother was very encouraged and took the ribbon to think about who they could give the ribbon to. And so uh, they went to work where they were interning and they went to the, the big grumpy boss that everyone complained about and they said, I want to give you this ribbon if it's okay. And they told them about uh, how their younger sibling had given it to them and uh, said... Uh, Actually, although you know we don't work together a lot, uh, you inspire me with the way you've built uh, this business, and uh, so I want to uh, give you this award for making such a difference in my life. And the boss, who didn't usually get positive feedback from his staff, was very moved and thought about who the, even though he didn't have a ribbon to give away, thought about the people in his life that he wanted to show his appreciation for. So he went home and spoke to his son and said, uh, I just want to let you know what a difference you make in my life, that you're really the, one of the, the key people in my life that I'm doing everything for. And I don't tell you that very often, but I want to tell you. And the son broke down and cried and said, uh, well, I'm so grateful you've told me because I was actually planning to run away tonight while you and mum were asleep, but now I guess I don't need to. It can be really hard to know if we're making a difference in the world. It can be really hard to make a difference in a world. How can we humans make any difference when the world is so big and we're so small? How can we Christians make any difference? Well, today we're going to be looking at two words in our Bible reading. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. Just turn to the person next to you for 30 seconds, get that out, and see if you can guess which two words we're going to look at. Have a guess. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, that's our Bible reading. Which two words do you reckon we're going to concentrate on? Well, uh, don't feel bad if you haven't picked the words I've picked, because there are lots of important words in there. But the two we're going to be concentrating on are elect and exiles. It's Peter, (laughs) there's no prizes for getting it right, because really it's just a matter of luck. Uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, that's who's writing the letter, and he addresses it to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. Now, elect 
means chosen people. So, uh, kids, you might know we have elections every few years to choose our government. Elect is, means chosen people. And exiles means people who can't go back to their homeland, where they belong. Uh, they've been driven out. And so, uh, exiles is another word for basically homeless people, but it doesn't mean necessarily having, you know, nowhere to live, but it means you can't go where you belong. Elect and exiles. And so, there's a bit of tension in this description that Peter uses for the people he's writing to. He says they're elect and they're exiles. On one hand, they're chosen. And they're God's elect. They're chosen by God, secure in their relationship with Him. That's fantastic. They're the kind of people you'd want to have to make a difference in the world, except that they're exiles. Uh, they're scattered throughout the world like everybody else. Uh, well, then how can they make a difference? Well, uh, these ideas come from the, the big story of the Bible, the one big true story of the Bible. Uh, God lovingly created the world to be a home for people. And particularly, you might know the story of Adam and Eve. God made a special home, the Garden of Eden, for Adam and Eve to live in with Him. God would go for walks in the garden, and Adam and Eve could enjoy the garden and enjoy the fruit and look after it. But Adam and Eve rebelled against God, didn't they? And they ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God said not to eat. So instead of living as God's chosen people, different from all the animals, made especially to be in God's family, they decide to live life their own way. And so God had to send them out of the garden, out of their special home. They were elect, but they became exiles. Well, after they had children who had children who had children who had children, uh, God revealed the next step in His plan. God chose Abraham, uh, one person, and promised to have a special relationship with him in a special fruitful land, and bless him, and through his descendant, to restore his blessing to all the peoples of the world. So, Abraham and his descendants trusted God, but they also still rebelled against God. And so, you might remember the story of Joseph. God ended up sending uh, his chosen people, his elect, out of the promised land to live in Egypt. Well, uh, Abraham's descendants became the nation of Israel. Uh, they became slaves in Egypt. God rescued them out of Egypt and said He was going to make them a nation of priests. In other words, they were going to be the people who stood between God and the rest of the world to help the rest of the world come and experience God's blessing. But Israel rebelled again. And instead of living as God's chosen people, God's elect, they lived their own way. And so God sent other nations to come and conquer them and take them out of the promised land. Just as Adam and Eve had been chosen by God, but they became exiles. Uh, Abraham and his family were chosen by God, but they rebelled against God and they became exiles. And eventually Israel were chosen by God but they rebelled against God and they became exiles. So here's the problem. How can God's special people do their job of sharing God's blessing with the rest of the world if they don't have God's blessing themselves properly because of their rebellion against God? How can God's elect make a difference 
when they're living in exile? Well, a passage that uh, I think answers that question beautifully is Isaiah chapter 11. Here God uh, really uncovers His big plan for the world, how He's going to share His blessing to the world when the people who are supposed to be doing that are in exile. And really there are two simple steps. The first step is to send a saviour who makes things right and brings peace. So the first step is raise up a saviour who makes things right and brings peace. I'm going to just read very quickly Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 to 9 so you can see that's what it says. So here's the kind of, here's my plan is what God is saying. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. So there's the first thing. God says, here's the first step of the plan. I'm going to raise up a saviour from the shoot of the stump of Jesse. So that's from David's royal family. And he's going to be filled with my spirit. And so you might remember the stories of Jesus, that he was born as a descendant of David's family, and God put the Holy Spirit on him uh, for him to do his ministry. And then uh, verses 3 to 5 tell us he's going to make things right, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. So that's very poetic language. But it's saying he's going to make things right. He's going to get rid of all the bad things in the world and he's going to make everything fair and good. And so that means the world is going to be at peace. That's what verses 6 to 9 say. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. If you're a little child and you think you can't make a difference, there's a good job description for you. Right? Leading the animals at peace when Jesus has made things right and given the world peace. Verse 7, the cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Jesus has come to make things right, to make the world at peace, at more peace than we can probably imagine. So much that little children will be able to go crawling through the bush and play with wild snakes and it'll all be fine. That's how peaceful it'll be when Jesus has brought this peace. So that's the first step. Raise up a saviour who makes things right and brings peace. But then step two is by gathering his scattered people God will gather people from all the world who turn and trust Him. Look at verses 10 to 12. In that day, the root of Jesse, so that's Jesus, will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to Him and His resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out His hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of His people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. 
So he says, okay, my people have been scattered to all these places. They're in exile. They just are living amongst everyone else. They don't seem special. But God is going to raise up a saviour to rescue them. And in the process of rescuing them, Jesus will be a banner for all the nations, for all the peoples, to be able to be rescued if they'll turn and trust him. And I think the, the way that might, some of the ways that might work in terms of what the exiles could do is spelt out in chapter 12, so the very next chapter. Uh, so God says to the exiles, in that day you will say, so when I've raised up the Saviour and He's saving you from all the places you've been scattered so that uh, He's a banner to all the nations, in that day you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord Himself is my strength and my defence. He has become my salvation. The joy you will, sorry, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim His name. Make known among the nations what He has done. And proclaim that His name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for He has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. So, throughout the Old Testament, God has His special people that He chooses, through whom He can bring blessings to the world, but they don't live as His chosen people. They don't live as His elect. And so they're exiled. And so how can they bring God's blessing to the world? Well, God is going to do it, and He's still going to do it through them. In raising up a saviour to save his people, he then is able to save all sorts of other people through them if they will only turn and trust. So imagine uh, you're going fishing with a net. Now, I don't know, kids, if any of you have been fishing with a net. I can remember when I was a child, uh, my parents would take me with some of their friends. I don't remember who the friends were. For I remember, they could have been just complete strangers we found at the river, but I think they were friends. Anyway, we'd go, we'd go to the river kind of in the evening, and uh, we'd ha they'd have these big prawning nets, these big kind of long, uh, what, what am I trying to say? Long, wide, whatever, and, uh, you know, about this high. So that, and then a couple of the, it was usually the men, would go on each side, and they would go walking in the river to catch prawns. And, of course, uh, basically anything that was big enough uh, would get stuck in the net and then they would pull it up on the shore and everyone would go through and take out all the seaweed and uh, all the other fish that they'd accidentally ca caught and sort of put that back in the river and, uh, and get out the prawns. And uh, one of the things I remember seeing was that sometimes stuff that got caught in the net, you know, the, the idea was for the net itself, the little bits of string tied together, for that to press on the prawn and catch the prawn. But sometimes other things in the net would get caught by the net, and then that stuff would be what was pressing and catching the prawn, kind of in the net. And so, as the net caught things, those things could be sort of part of the net to catch things. And so, that's kind of the picture here that Isaiah gives us. As God catches up His people, well, they're kind of then involved in Him catching up other people. It's still the net that's catching every, all the fish. But as more fish get caught, they sort of they get made part of the net. And so that's the way 
God saves people through His people. As He saves people, uh, they're then involved in part of the process of Him saving other people who can be involved in helping save other people, who can be helped in other people coming to know God through Jesus. And because we are in exile, because of our sin, because we uh, don't experience the full blessing of God, we're not living at home with God in heaven at the moment. That's a bad thing. But God uses that bad thing for a good thing. It means He's already got people scattered throughout the world and He can use them to share His blessing, to share the love of God in Jesus, to bring people into relationship with Him. He can use those people to bring people from all the world back into relationship with Him. So, how can God's special people do their job of sharing God's blessing with the world if they don't have God's blessing themselves because of their rebellion against God? How can God's elect be of any use in exile? Well, this, this is God's plan. God doesn't give up on His plan to bring blessing to the world through His people. Instead, He raises up a Saviour. And as He saves His elect exiles that are already scattered through the world, well, He uses them to share that blessing with everyone, with whoever would turn and trust in Jesus. As God saves His elect exiles who are living amongst everyone else, who are scattered amongst everyone else, God shows everyone in the world how He saves sinful people, how He saves people who are separated from His blessing and gives them life in Jesus. And God draws people from all different parts of the world, from all different walks of life, all different kinds of people, to trust Jesus and be saved for eternal life. Now, I know what you're thinking. Matt, that seems like a lot to get out of two words in the address of a letter. Well, I would agree with you, except that, that is where the rest of the letter goes. When Peter's actually saying what he's got to say to these people, that's the kind of stuff he talks about. Let me give you a couple of quick examples. So, chapter 1, verses 22 to 25, describes God's people a bit like the infection of dying humanity with God's living Word. So, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 to 25, this is... Uh, uh, yeah. One example. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. For, and here's a quote, all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the Word that was preached to you. So, the Old Testament picture of all people being perishable, but God's Word being capable of bringing life, He says, well, that's what you've got. You're the ones who are experiencing that in the context of everyone needing that. Or another example, uh, look at chapter 2, verses 9 to 12. Chapter 2, verses 9 to 12. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles 
to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So there you go, there he is spelling it out. You're a special people, and God's made you that special people to declare his praises. And you're living as foreigners and exiles. You're living as people who don't belong here. So do that properly so that people will praise God for it. Okay, there's a a very specific case study or a particular kind of example in chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. So the particular example is for wives. Wives, in the same way, submit to yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. So there's a really clear example of uh, it's uh, women who are Christians who are married to men who are not Christians. And it's saying, just in the everyday life of that relationship, you can be used by God to persuade this person to believe in Jesus without you even saying anything. I mean, someone will need to say something so they hear the message of Jesus. But just in the way you live your everyday life, God can use that to persuade someone that they need to follow Jesus. Or a more general piece of advice about that, down in chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Uh, And so the wider context there is uh, they're living in a way that looks different because it's full of confident hope. And so the expectation is people are going to ask what's going on and they're going to have a chance to tell them it's because of Jesus. And even God's people are described as kind of the starting point for judgment and salvation in the world. So chapter 4, verses 17 to 18. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And, quote, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? See, again and again throughout the book, he talks about the people he's writing to, Christians, as elect exiles. They're chosen by God, they're secure in their relationship with Him, but they're living amongst the world. And in a sense, are practically separated from God's blessing like everybody else is. But as God saves them, as they trust in Jesus, as they grow in their relationship with God, as they come into God's family, as they find their spiritual blessings in Christ and look forward to the practical blessings of Jesus coming back again, the physical blessings, I should say, God uses that to bring all sorts of different people in their everyday lives into relationship with Him. So the picture of elect exiles emphasises that this is God's plan to graciously fulfil His promise by bringing good out of bad. It's not about us being good enough or us doing enough. It's about sinners who are separated from God's blessing being saved in such a way that God draws other people in to save them in the process as well. And so it doesn't matter uh, whether you're one of the fish that's caught by the net early or one of the fish that's kind of got other fish squashing you in. Uh, We can all be, God's using us all to be part of His net to get people in 
to his family. There's lots of practical ways that can work, lots of practical ways God can do that. A person who maybe is respected in their local community becomes a Christian, other people think, well, if she thinks it's worth becoming a Christian, maybe I should look into it. Or perhaps a person who's not respected in their community becomes a Christian, and other people think, well, if he is accepted by the church, I guess they would accept me. Or maybe a company goes out of business, everyone loses their jobs, but the Christians who lose their jobs are full of hope. And their colleagues are interested to know why. Or a hotshot entrepreneur skyrockets to wealth and yet remains humble, relaxed and kind. People want to hear any advice he's got to give. Well, it'd be good if he knows it's about Jesus. I'm sure you can imagine possibilities and probably think of examples you've seen. God's plan is for us to be his elect exiles. God's plan is for us to trust him but stay in the world with all its problems, partly us. So as he draws us closer to him, he draws other people to him as well. As he pours his blessings on us, it overflows to other people around us. So, to get back to the original question, do you make a difference? Do we make a difference? Well, if you are following Jesus, you are one of God's elect exiles. God is working his plan to save you deliberately in a way to use to save other people. What about if you feel far from God? What if you feel like you're not doing a very good job of that? Well, God is still drawing you to himself in a way he can use to draw other people to himself. What if you're facing hardship or suffering? Well, God is bringing you through that hardship and suffering in a way that he's going to use to help bring blessing to other people. If you're trusting Jesus, you're one of God's elect exiles. God is working his salvation in your life in a way that he will use to spread his salvation to others. In Christ, we make all the difference in the world. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that when we rebel against you, when we fall short of living as your people, you don't give up on us. Instead, you bring good even out of those bad things. Thank you that your plan to save us includes working through us to save other people too. So, Father, please help us to trust you in this and... Uh, rejoice in the opportunities you give us to be your co-workers in the world. Thank you that we make a difference because you're making a difference through us. Amen.